In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Christ is in our midst. Imagine a great, proud ship striking a rock in the middle of the ocean and beginning to sink. What happens to those on board? asks St. Nikolai of Zicha. He says one would grab a spar and keep himself afloat on it. Another would grab at a barrel and hang on to it. A third succeeds in trying and tying wineskins around his neck and swimming with them as water wings. A fourth jumps into the water with nothing and just swims. A fifth lowers a boat, sits in it, and does not immediately take the oars and row, but loots as much as possible from the wrecked ship, stowing it all in the boat. Which of these people who escape from the sinking ship is in the greatest danger? Which of them will perish in the greatest shame? The one who seems the safest will perish in the greatest shame. The one in the boat who is standing alongside the wrecked ship and transferring the goods from the ship to the boat. He is in the greatest danger. He will first load several sacks of flour into his boat and then seeing crates of wine and brandy and rum, he will begin to haul them on board. He will then begin to grab at clothes and covers and linen and woolens and say, I'll need these for clothing and bed linen. And then looking carefully and seeing silver vessels and golden candlesticks, he will take them because everybody needs golden candlesticks when you're in the middle of the ocean and your ship is sinking, right? And see, he'll say, here are barrels of oil, of salt, of meat and fish with rice and various other vegetables. I'll need this. What'll I do without that? And then he'll notice boxes and bags of money and precious stones. And all of this, of course, must be tipped into the boat. How can he leave fine chairs and polished tables or velvet couches when he can load them in? So he stows them on board and the boat gets fuller and fuller and lower and lower in the water. And then he remembers that he will need more coal for fuel, more petrol. And he makes room for them and look, here's some bookcases full of marvelous books. He'll need something to read as he's floating through the middle of the ocean to pass time to entertain himself. Oh, and there's a piano? And violins and stringed instruments and flutes, they'll help pass the time too. In fact, he even throws in the big screen TV just for good measure, hoping that it'll still have a signal from the satellite. He stows all these on board, and the boat becomes more and more heavily laden and rides lower and lower in the water. That's enough, he says, and he sits in the boat. But he remembers that there are a great many other things that he could and should load on board. So he climbs back onto the ship and takes them. And once again, he tells himself it is enough and sits in the boat. But the vain desire for possessions once again urges him to transfer even more from the ship to the boat. 
And at last the ship sinks, and he rows off, grieving that he could not load up everything. He now begins slowly to row to land, but the water is up to the gunwale. It's right up to the top of the boat. It's so hard to row. And if any of those who are in need, swimming around in the ocean, try to get into his boat, he fights them off because they'll all sink and there's not room for his stuff and for the people in crisis. And so overloading the boat with things, he overloads his soul with evil deeds. The wind blows and the waves beat, and he begins to defend himself from the water, to bail the water out of the boat. And when he sees that this is futile, he begins sadly to cast into the sea first the cheaper things, then those more precious and more precious. But he has already tired himself out, loading everything up into the boat, and he has no strength left to lift up the heavy things and throw them into the sea like the piano, the boxes of gold. The water in the end overcomes and swamps his little rescue boat and sinks him with it. And such is the life, and such is the end of the rich and covetous on the sea of this earthly life. They live with the false conviction that this world is a wrecked ship without captain, without rudder or helmsman, a wreck that sinks and breaks in pieces, made use of only by those who grab as much as they can from it to carry to their boat. But in the midst of this covetous grabbing and emptying of the ship of life, the ship's captain appears and places his hand on the ship to show it is his and says that the ship is not sinking, but that this only appears to be the case of the short-sighted and the ignorant who have spent just a short time on the ship. The captain has been on board from the very beginning looking after the passengers. They change, but he stands concealed and guides the ship. He knows where the ship has come from and where it is going. He knows the way and the sea does not frighten him. The captain, of course, is the Lord Jesus. And gently but decisively, he goes down onto the waves and holds out his hand to those who are drowning. Those who have nothing in their hands but are swimming empty-handed are the first to respond to him and grab hold of his saving hand. But those who have loaded their boat to the gunwale find it the most difficult to respond to him because they are afraid that if they leave their boat and set off empty-handed to the captain over the waves, both they and he will be drowned. They do not have faith in him they have greater confidence in their boat and looking at them and reading their miserable souls and even more miserable faith in dead things, the Lord Jesus turns to those whom he has saved and says, Verily I say unto you that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. The Lord frequently referred to such instances and made it clear on many occasions that his teaching applies to them. And today's gospel reading is one such instance. Now, that is a very long introduction, but that is really the heart of the homily. That metaphor really encapsulates our life. This metaphor was written by St. Nikolai of Zicha in one of his homilies on this gospel reading. 
And really, if you think about it, if you think about our American culture and our desire for more stuff, more pleasure, more power, more of everything, all we are doing is loading up our rowboat of life with pianos thinking that it's going to save us and not understanding why we are sinking in the ocean. The Lord says that if you are more attached to your money than you are attached to Him, you're not going to make it into the kingdom of heaven. That's what it comes down to. The young man who comes to the Lord was very rich, and he kept the law externally, but didn't have the inner spirit of the law. He did not have a heart that desired God. He wanted eternal life only so that he could enjoy his riches for all eternity. He wanted the country club version of heaven, not the self-emptying, God-worshipping version of heaven that we read about in the book of Revelation, that Isaiah talks about in chapter 6, that Ezekiel reports in chapter 1 of his book. The kingdom of heaven is the presence of God himself. The kingdom of heaven is the divine liturgy constantly happening. The kingdom of heaven is not just the country club with our big screen TVs and our massage chairs and our, our, our cup of lemonade or adult beverage of choice or whatever. It's not just a place without torture and with all pleasure. It's a place where love reaches its fullest potential because it's the presence of God. If we are more tied to our possessions than we are to God, then we probably are not going to enjoy heaven very much. Because we'll say, where's my stuff? The Lord will say, we have no need of it here. Ultimately, God wants our hearts. And in order to get our hearts, He tells us that we need to tithe and we need to give alms. The biblical standard of tithing is 10% of your income. The Bible calls it the first fruits. The first fruits. Not the sloppy seconds or whatever might happen to be left over. The Lord tells us to give Him the first fruits and the best of our labors so that we are not more attached to the reward of our labors than we are to the giver of the gifts. He wants our first fruits so that we remember that our strength and our ingenuity and our energy and our ability to do our work comes from God. He also wants somebody to turn off their car alarm. <laughs> the Lord wants our heart. And he knows that money will often, money and possessions will often get between us and God. In Psalm 36, David says, Delight thyself in the Lord, and he will give thee the askings of thy heart. 
But if you delight yourself in money and in your possessions and in your entertainments and pleasure and whatever it is that you're seeking that's not God, you will normally come up desiring more of something that is unfulfilling. The Lord wants all of us. He wants our whole being dedicated to Him, and He knows that we can't give that to Him while we are serving God and mammon. In the liturgy, in every service, when we have a litany, we end the litanies with this petition, calling to remembrance our most blessed and glorious Lady the Theotokos and ever-Virgin Mary and all the saints, calling to remembrance all the saints, let us commend ourselves and each other and all our life unto Christ our God. We remember and call to mind all the saints because they're saints because they gave their life to God. And we are called to give all of our life to God, not just that part that is convenient for us, not just whatever happens to be left over. Think about, think about the story of Abraham in the Old Testament. God promises Abraham a child, and Abraham and Sarah have Isaac in their old age, and Isaac is Abraham's only beloved son, the true heir. Okay? He had Ishmael with Hagar, but that wasn't God's promise, that wasn't God's plan. Okay? But Abraham has his beloved son Isaac, and God comes to Abraham and says, You need to give me your son. Abraham's like, Whoa, that's a big ask. But out of obedience, Abraham goes on his way and is willing to sacrifice Isaac. There are jokes about whether Isaac was a teenager or not, and whether it was a true sacrifice or not. <laughs> We won't get into that. But Abraham's willing to offer up to God his son, the promised one, the heir, and God stops him before it happens and blesses Abraham. Abraham was a rich man who showed hospitality to God at another time and shared his goods with strangers. So being rich is not the problem. Being rich is not the problem. The pursuit of riches, the love of money, as St. Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, it's the love of money that is evil. And as our Lord points out, this young man, he had kept all the commandments, but he was still lacking something, and that was true love of God and neighbor. He wasn't willing to give his whole life to God. He was only looking for a loophole for the golden ticket into the kingdom of heaven. You know, the comedian Jim Gaffigan, his wife is Roman Catholic, and Jim Gaffigan says, yeah, I'm, I'm Catholic too. I mean, I never go to church. I don't follow the practices of the, of, or the teachings of the church. I don't really care what they believe, and, but I root for Notre Dame football, so I'm Catholic. 
To me, that's a definition of someone whose heart is not fully into it. Okay? So, he's a comedian, he does that as a funny bit, but there's a lot of truth there. That's how people think of themselves. I go to church a couple times a year, I've got icons on my wall, I don't really give any money or any time to the church. I actually don't really do anything. I don't pray. I don't fast. I never read my Bible. But hey, I'm Orthodox and I'm good. Like, it doesn't work that way. I'm sorry. God wants a relationship with you. And He wants your heart because He wants you. I once asked Father Sergius, how do you give alms? Like, where do you even start to give alms? He's like, well, you tithe. I'm like, yeah, but if you're tithing, how do you measure whether you're giving enough alms? And he's like, wait, 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 like, what? nobody's ever asked me this question before. And I said, but, but if you tithe, and that's the standard where you start, how do you give alms and know that you're giving enough alms? And he said, God wants your heart. He said, you can never give enough alms, ever, to satisfy a heart that loves God. He says, if you give God your heart, then he will give you all the alms to give to everybody you meet. Our Lord is a hunter of the heart and He desires a full relationship with us, with you, with me. But He knows that there are things that get in the way. He knows, He knows that there is a love of useless items and useless pursuits in our life that get in our way. We need to wrestle with those and think about what that is. And we need to tell ourselves, you know what? I don't think I need to take that piano into my rescue boat. I think I can leave that behind. And if we don't have the strength to leave it behind, we should probably take that to confession. But this isn't a gospel reading where we say, man, that poor guy, sheesh, wish you could be more like me. I know better. We should say, wow, that's exactly how I am. I'm afraid to leave behind what I love most on this earth and follow Christ fully and completely. We all have that piano that's tying us down that's holding us back, keeping us from good deeds and sinking us in the sea of life. Brothers and sisters, let us commend ourselves and each other and our whole life, our money, our time, our politics, our entertainment, our talents, our whole life and our whole love. Let us commit it to Christ our God, so that we, along with all the saints who have been perfected in the kingdom of heaven, can praise and bless and glorify the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and ever and unto ages of ages. Amen. Christ is in our midst. He is and ever shall be.